This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to Gone to Texas, a podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is Alex, and I have not read any of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. And my name is Nick, and I have read all of Ennis and Dylan, Dylan's Preacher. Not Dylan. I don't know who Dylan is. <laughs> I don't know either. But today we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 5 of the AMC series titled Dallas. While we will not be spoiling any of the comic and by extension any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the series through Season 2, Episode 5, so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of the episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com. That's the letter G, number two, letter T, podcast.com. And we're also g2tpodcast on Twitter. And you can send feedback to g2tpodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Preacher or our podcast, much like two of our most favorite people did this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a new listener, Mike, email us. Uh, he had a few different thoughts here that I'll run down. I cherry-picked through several of the emails that we had back and forth, so hopefully he's uh, okay with that. But uh, One of the more important things that he wrote in was actually a correction, or not necessarily a correction, but last week we were theorizing about who the person who uh, the hell superint- superintendent lost track of was. Yep. He wrote in and said, I thought the person who the superintendent of hell was talking about who escaped was the saint. Remember, Fiore and DeBlanc went to hell in season one to free him. And said, and it was said that that wasn't something that happened often. Not crazy about the hell Hitler story or the Hitler slash hell story so far, but we'll see where it goes. Uh, thank you for writing in. Nick and I had kind of that slipped our minds last week, so that is much more likely than uh, DeBlanc doing crazy things. Yeah, in in hell to get Eugene out, but sabotaging hell. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, next point from Mike, he said, I'd be interested to know what Nick thinks about comic Tulip. Personally, I thought she was the worst thing in the book. She was clingy and whiny, and I never understood what Jesse saw in her, especially because in the book, it's clear that he can pretty much have whoever he wants. TV Tulip is much better. I feel like we touched on this in season one. I don't know if Mike necessarily listened all the way through, but it's how, a val- do you, how do you compare contrast comic and, and TV Tulip since they're so different? It's a really valuable question to ask, actually, because Tulip is uh, Tulip is the character in season two who's having the most light shed on her. Yeah. And so she is evolving. I won't disagree at all that TV Tulip is very, very good. I don't know if uh, I don't know if better is the right word, but definitely more developed yeah. because Tulip in the books uh, doesn't hit a lot of development until a little bit later when you kind of learn a little bit about her backstory. Uh, and Tulip in the book is definitely uh, sort of, I don't want I don't necessarily want to use the word needy, but she definitely r- requires a lot of Jesse's attention. But I think it's a- as a reader and it kind of uh, with an overview of the whole story, I think it's pretty warranted because she definitely keeps Jesse sort of, not, not even grounded, but she's kind of his motivation. And yeah. he loses sight of that, I think, as Jesse in the show is doing presently. He's getting very wrapped up in his hunt for God, and he's getting he's very getting very caught up in himself and his own like manly things, and he's so worried about about doing what he thinks is right and what he thinks is important that he's not paying attention to the people who care about him and who he cares about, which I think is a pretty well-established uh, 
uh, trope in a, with a lot of like very overtly masculine characters that they get caught up in their business and they and they shirk every, everybody else. Yeah. And whether it's consciously or unconsciously, some characters do it knowingly. Some do it as a defense mechanism. And part of what makes Jesse uh, interesting, I think, is he he is so focused on doing what he thinks is the right thing, which is often a combination of his dad and John Wayne and himself, like rolling up together into what the right thing is to do that he sometimes forgets about like the, the simple things like just t- living a good life with Tulip who he loves. But this is getting a little bit off track, but I think it ties into this week a little bit and it kind of ties in a little bit yeah. to Tulip. Cause I think Tulip sees that side of him, uh, Tulip in the books sees that side of him that that's a little more, a little more simple. And I think that's where Tulip between the books and the show really contrast. And that'll come up heavily in this episode. Yeah. Uh, they almost have a kind of a role reversal in the show, which is really interesting, hmm. kind of a character reversal. But I don't think Tulip's the worst thing in the books. I think uh, clearly Arseface is the worst <laughs> thing in the books. I've, I've made that known. Uh, he, but he's not without without purpose. And I think the same is true for Tulip. I think I don't think there's any wasted characters in the book. So just because I don't necessarily like Arseface doesn't mean that he's pointless or he's bad. Yeah, I've probably said that he's bad before, and and that's just kind of my. Uh, disdain coming out inappropriately but looking at it objectively i think everything in the book works really well there's a reason i think people keep coming back to it and why it needed to be adapted in the first place uh they have to pick and choose what they're going to trim from the books but it's interesting how they're kind of beefing up everything on it and there's not a lot that's being trimmed necessarily yeah so i'll be interested to keep going but i am due for a refresh on the books you know as there have been a couple episodes now where Details have slipped my mind and I haven't been able to uh, remember. And we were talking with Lance, uh, who has guested in season one, and he'll make an appearance at some point in this season. Uh, and he said, he's like, I kind of prefer that you don't necessarily have a, uh, like a death grip uh, knowledge of the books. That, yeah. And I think that's part of what makes stories like that really cool. I mean, uh, you, there's things that you, you kind of forget. And as you go back and read, you rediscover. And a, a story that long, uh, you're naturally going to forget some some of the finer details, and that's what keeps it refreshing, and yeah. you know keeps you coming back, and you can you kind of find new things every time. I mean, there's even shows like Arrested Development that I've seen, I've watched the complete thing a dozen times, and I still go back and I find new things. Mm-hmm. So having a encyclopedic knowledge of it uh, is a great thing if you can do that. But obviously, I've read it a couple times, and I do tend to read it in just like straight binge fashion, which, as we've talked about on this show and other shows. Uh, binging is the best way to forget. Yeah. So um, to make it all meld together exactly. in one glob. Yeah. So I probably yeah. should do a more a more thorough like disciplined read through where maybe I read like an issue a day and kind of reflect on it. But the problem is it's such a page turner. Yeah. You know, it's just like uh, when John was watching season one of of Preacher and he was like, I, I just want to keep watching it because yeah. it just keeps you going. So TLDR, I don't think Tulip's awful. <laughs> I actually like comic Tulip quite a bit, but. There's different I, things to like about both. There are different things to like, and it's definitely a, a bit of a long haul through the book until you get to the really good tulip stuff. Yeah. But I think part of it is also she's she's a character who's struggling a lot with things that have happened to her and what maybe her true nature is against like what she's been brought up to be and also dealing with the world around her. Like She has to deal with a lot of characters that treat her like she's... Uh, well, a woman in a man's world, you know? Yeah. And sometimes she reacts in very interesting ways, and sometimes the book doesn't really capitalize on that. I think where uh, you are right is that the show is definitely uh, 
calling more attention to to tulips reacting to a lot of external stimuli, whatever it be. You know, she's yeah. not she doesn't take anything laying down. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Uh, Mike had a few other points that I want to come back around to after we've done our discussion. Okay, but these are about this really <coughs> excuse me, excuse my weird voice today. <laughs> Something's happening. I'm not sure what. Uh, they're really good questions, though. They're yeah, awesome questions. Absolutely, and, and they're not even necessarily questions so much as like discussion points. I think I've sufficiently goaded Mike into writing to us every week, so <laughs> I hope I hope we we hear good. more from him. Uh, maybe our, I'll get on the email and we can actually keep talking. Or there you go. Maybe Alex will withhold all knowledge and spring it on me until we're <laughs> recording. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to do it, right? Yeah, right. Uh, our friend Youp, that's been with us for a long time, wrote in as well. I picked a few things out of his uh, his email here, but he I wrote in. Youp. Yeah, we miss you, Youp. Miss you, Youp. Youp. Yes. Uh, I like the season overall, but I agree last week's episode was the weakest of the series, but a small diamond is still a diamond. One of the great things this show does is sprinkling bits of information. I think they strike a great balance between obvious and subtle because I notice them, and I hear Alex mention them as well, but they're not in-your-face things like Marvel sometimes does. Now, I included I included the Youp's email here because he had a few uh, things that I know that you wanted to hear more about. So he says, now on to Hitler. <laughs> I have a problem with him being in the show. And and for the context of our listeners, Yoop is from the Netherlands. So I thought it was pretty useful to have the thoughts of somebody in Europe, at least, about this entire situation as we come from a kind of a more clearly like distanced look at World War II, not only through time, but also geography. Yes. And Yoop is very insightful. Yes. Which I value very much. Uh, so now on to Hitler. I don't have a problem with him being in the show, but I can see Nick's point about him. My opinion is that through comedy, you can talk about some aspects of the event of World War II that you can't do otherwise. You're less likely to offend someone if they know you're trying to make people laugh than to drive home an opinion. For example, if you're trying to show where Hitler's hate for Jews comes from uh, with a serious approach, then people might think that you agree with why Hitler started the Holocaust. But if you play it off as a joke, uh... People will take it less serious, but still make them think about why he did it. The outrage that comes with a serious approach is less likely to blind you with with comedy. South Park is a very good example of a show that does this very well. Uh, And then he finally goes on to say, I don't know if the show is using Hitler for this reason or not, but the stuff you guys talked about in relation to Arseface made me interested to see where they take Hitler in this season. My only hope is that he won't become a regular cast member and will go on adventures with Arseface or something. Uh, yeah. It, well, he is a regular cast member, technically. He's in the credit sequence. That's true. But, obviously, this episode, we didn't see him at all. The first two episodes, we didn't see him at all. So, it sounds yeah. like people take kind of a backseat. But what, what do you think about Yoop's thought on, on thoughts on Hitler? There he goes with that, that insight. So, Yoop's thoughts on Hitler. That the, the idea that they're, that they're going to take, uh, they're, they're looking at it through comedy to ensure people that they think Hitler's thoughts were ridiculous and off base and terrible and wrong that yeah we did kind of talk about that uh I think on last week's episode how there's there's no coincidence and there are no accidents in the characters that are in the show and the writing is all very intentional yeah I think a lot of that comes from Sam Catlin Mm -hmm. helping guide the minds of uh, Rogan and Goldberg yeah and I think that they they wouldn't do it in a way that would be offensive and i think part of my initial knee-jerk reaction is part of the like overtly pc culture that we live in today yeah. and i think this is also i don't want to relegate that to america but it feels like a very american thing like yeah. these days 
everybody's up in arms about everything. And I don't want to downplay the impact of Hitler. Obviously, Hitler's a very real big thing. Like yeah. of, of the things you're allowed to get upset about, I think it's pretty fair. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I think we might be judging it a little bit hastily. Or, but I think yeah. I think the apprehension is valid. But also, you makes a very good point. Obviously, yeah. the the show is. It's not a comedy per se, but it has very it has a lot of comedy in its DNA. So I think it's going to come down to what we see over the rest of these episodes. Yeah, so. and, there, and there seems like that's going to play out in the middle or or latter half of the season. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to tune tune back in. It seems it seems like they're spacing it out a bit. Yeah, with nothing being in episode five. So no, I think uh, it's a great point though, and uh, we'll have to kind of see what happens. I'm, I am glad that they were not in this episode yeah me too needed a breather from me too so on to our recap of episode 205 that's dallas uh the teaser jesse Dallas roberts no not dallas roberts sadly another amc mainstay Mm -hmm. not a mainstay because he was in one season of a tv show that they got rid of he's a mainstay in our hearts although i think he was on walking dead that's miles right yeah i think he was on walking he was on walking dead briefly but anyway we digress uh, Jesse hangs Victor up in his torture room despite Tulip's protest, and then he uses the word on Tulip to get her to leave. That's pretty much all that happens Savage. in the teaser. Uh, I was surprised, and maybe we still have yet to see more of the fallout, because they obviously cut away from Tulip at the end of this episode pretty quickly. But I was surprised that there wasn't more fallout from him doing that. Yes. They I- apologize to each other about it. But yeah, I think that's the important thing to remember is like this is not a it's not a necessarily a one sided offense. Yeah. Was it right? No, definitely not. Especially when she told him not to do it again. But clearly Tulip has been withholding a lot of serious stuff from Jesse. That's true. And Jesse is a is a very sensitive guy yeah. for how for how tough he is. So she the two they, they know each other so well. And she knows that this is going to come. Yeah, she probably gets it. Jesse's going to have kittens over the situation. (laughs) She's like, I'll give you this one, but never again. Yeah, pretty much. I could see that happening. I think it it will probably get brought up again because it's obviously a slippery slope. If he he uses it the one time, it's going to get easier and easier to use. However, they know the threat of using the word. Yeah. They know what's coming. So, yeah. Uh, So, act one. Uh, after Tulip lost the baby in Dallas, she and Jesse were living day to day, doing everyday normal jobs. Uh, Jesse day drinks while hanging out with the stoner named Reggie and is supposedly a bartender while Tulip has been a real estate assistant slash training to be an agent. Tulip has Danny over for dinner who wants them back in her service, but Jesse declines despite Tulip potentially being open to it. And after dinner, Jesse and Tulip check a pregnancy test to see if Tulip is pregnant, but she's not. So they try once more. And then in the morning, Jesse wakes up. He spots Tulip holding a stool well away from the bar, but she manages to dismiss him from it. So mm-hmm. uh, this episode was the hardest to summarize in these short in the short fashion. Yeah, because these flashbacks are so rich with detail that it's been it was it was hard for me to to pick and choose what not to say or what what to say and what not to say. But um, so this uh, this episode fills in that gap between the Carlos incident and the premiere of Preacher, essentially. Yeah. And uh, I found I found that interesting. Although there, I do have one bone to pick with it, which we'll get to later. Um, 
so I guess the first real thing to talk about, I, one of the things that I enjoyed was the treatment of the Bible in mm-hmm. this scene. The idea that it's been used to prop up the window. We cut to it seeing it propping open the window. Reggie pulls it down to use the pages as rolling papers. Mm -hmm. And Jesse kind of notes the misuse of the Bible, I guess you could say. There's not much on his face, but you know that he, like, takes note of it. And then we see Tulip put it back there, and she's definitely the one who's been putting it in in the window, it seems. I thought that was an interesting little detail of, like... Even though Jesse doesn't necessarily seem particularly religious in the scene, he still has that in him to like be aware of how people think and are treating God in, in, in his life. Yeah. Which I thought was cool. But I I think, is this the first mention of John Wayne on the show? Because I think, I think it is. I don't think we've had any other. Feels like they mentioned his name in season one. They may have, but as far it's not anywhere in my notes apparently for season one. Okay. So may, maybe there was no John Wayne. Maybe not. I know we've talked about it a lot. Yeah, but it was you know I was very happy to to see it to see Jesse just kind of watching John Wayne over and over and over and over again. Yep. Plus, there's a picture of there's a portrait of John Wayne yeah. above their bed too, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I have a big, it's not big, but a decently sized picture of Clint Eastwood that's really cool. So I can relate to that. Yeah. It's like a pencil sort of sketched version of like a picture from the Outlaw Josie Wales. It's okay. really, really tight. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I was always more of a Clint Eastwood guy than a John Wayne guy. Yeah. That's fair. He's Clint, Clint Eastwood to us does feel like the right like age difference between John Wayne and Jesse anyway. Like it's that generational. Yeah, it's true. It's the, it's the, that's your father's favorite actor kind of thing, right? Probably. Yeah, it's tough because Clint has been has been kicking around in western since the '60s, so he's not you know he's no spring chicken either. Yeah, that's true. But John Wayne is is more like your grandpa's favorite, and your yeah. dad by proxy then also yep. loves John Wayne, yep. but also likes Clint. Yep. I think my dad likes Clint better than John Wayne because we used to watch, um, not like a lot of his westerns, but a lot of his other stuff too yeah. when I was growing up. Uh, we get to see Danny again this episode for the first time yeah. since season one. Um, I loved that scene. It's a pretty great scene. There's some good lines in there. Uh, but what, did you did you read into it to me the same thing as like it seemed like Tulip was inviting her to get them back into the into Danny's service? You know, Jesse kind of questions why she's why Danny's coming to dinner. Yeah, and Tulip. It Isn't, did. It did seem a little, a little bit like she was at least open to hearing what Danny had to say. Yeah. Whereas Jesse had his mind made up, and he just shuts which, it down, which is a very Jesse characteristic. Yeah. But Danny does talk about an insurance scam in Santa Fe, subcontract work for a guy in Louisiana, which is obviously Victor, mm-hmm. and then also she apparently wants her husband dead in that Houston. Pretty good. Um. So Danny said Danny says to to them this is what you do and Jesse replies not anymore people change. Mm-hmm. And then Danny's like what? No they don't. I felt like that was like a pretty good summation of like you can't fight your nature which mm-hmm. seems to be a pretty big theme of the show. But um did you have any other thoughts about the about the opening acts? 
I have a note from uh, it, it applies to this, but it also it, I wrote it during a later scene. But I, I just wrote I, I really like I really appreciate the power of a good wig. Like yeah, well done uh, hair pieces and like makeup can really put a character into a different place. And yeah. couple I'm I'm referring specifically to Jesse. Mm-hmm. Uh, coupled with Dominic Cooper's performance, like it really feels like an entirely different person, and yeah. it's phenomenal. You can I also tell. I really like him as like a mini Danny McBride because that's who he kind of looks like. <laughs> and like a lot of the scenes where he's going down to like the Mart, the liquor yeah. store, he just has this look on his face of just total disengagement from everything. And it's hilarious. But at the same time, it's sad. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's just wondrous because he's so talented. Like it's, yeah. He's just such a good actor. Like this stuff almost makes me want to look at like a, a, a little bit more chronological presentation of things just to watch those performance changes of Mm -hmm. like Jesse catatonic Jesse is kind of like has big differences from even preacher Jesse in season one and then coming on to like current Jesse to to possess word possessed Jesse yeah Genesis Jesse there's certainly the way that he portrays those those different states are very interesting and it's great that he he has is, that range. He is phenomenal. And Ruth Nega too. I mean, she's she is so in the scenes with Jesse like washing the dishes and like w- w- looking on the pregnancy tests and everything, she's so sweet and so yeah. earnest and she really seems like she's she's willing to give this thing a try for Jesse, you know, talking about the real estate and going to work every day. She just is like she very much very very uh appropriately captures that kind of feeling of like the housewife and and she like she and he both want to turn over a new leaf yeah he as we've come to find out she's putting on a bit of an act uh later on but she's uh even more power to her to both the character and to ruth nega for being able to to put that across well yeah when when he finally turns the dime on her and and she i totally bought into it i was like oh wow she really wants to give this a try like my notes halfway through the episode are just totally uh inapplicable now because yeah you're you're like this seems very out of character for tulip (laughs) no i I didn't i didn't think it was out of character i thought it was really interesting because uh the whole montage in the middle uh which i guess we can we can get to we can progress to that yeah i mean it's kind of hard to to separate a lot out of the um the flashback stuff especially the episode cuts back and forth so we'll get to that in a second okay uh, act two, Tulip arrives back at Denise's department or department apartment with his uh, her stepdaughter Allie. And Tulip hits Cassidy, Cassidy for telling Jesse where she was, and she seems to think Cassidy's trying to tear her and Jesse apart. Uh, Cassidy leaves to go talk some sense into Jesse. Um, that was important that uh, Tulip suspected that. Yeah, and th- there was more. There was more to that particularly later in the episode that I wasn't really aware of the first watch through the episode. Like, I think I've become so enamored with, with Cassidy Mm -hmm. that I give him more of the benefit of the doubt than he should actually have, which I, it's, it's great. Oh yeah. But, um, it's working. We can we <laughs> we can we can get to that in a little bit, I suppose. Did you have anything else to say about this one? Because it was pretty short as well. It was. I just thought immediately. I was glad to take note that Tulip was a little bit suspicious because yeah, because Cassidy is is uh, he's always kind of he's along for the ride. He's been yeah. along for the ride the whole time, and it's it's kind of that like, what do you really know about him? Do you yeah. really know him, or do you know 
who he's putting on. Yeah, I, th- I think in the last episode, you you kind of commented on the fact that they're both kind of bought into Cassidy, and it seems by the end of this episode that they're both a little bit more taken back and and mm-hmm. thinking about him in a different way. Well, they uh, Cassidy's a lot of personality. Yeah, but you don't really know the person behind it. You know, you know the act he puts on. Yep, but you don't necessarily know what lies behind it. And I think we. Partially because we, as as viewers of the show, have been able to see backstory on Jesse, Jesse and Tulip. Yeah. We feel maybe a little more in tune with them and that we might know who they are underneath the surface, but it's also evident in their interactions with each other and with other people. We we get what they're about, and Cassidy is, as Jesse puts it later in this episode, do you think everything's a joke? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's definitely putting on a bit of a show. Yeah. Uh, Act three, Tulip and Jesse are living the same repetitive life over and over again, day drinking, trying to have a child, watching TV with Reggie. Uh, This was that montage that you spoke about. Uh, One day, Jesse realizes a blue bag handle sticking out of the HVAC vent, and he finds Tulip's money and birth control. When confronted, Tulip explains that a normal life isn't really the life an O'Hare is meant to live, and Jesse gets high and mighty about it when Tulip turns it back around on him, saying that as a Custer, he's never going to get the forgiveness that he seeks. Jesse tells Tulip that he found out he still owns his dad's church and that he's heading back to Anvil to be a priest. That's a lot. So, Like, yes. I feel like there were two, Act 1 and Act 3, both packed a lot in there. They did. Um, I felt a lot better about this montage than I did the first couple that we saw this season. It felt like... It found, like, I remember hearing for Breaking Bad that Dave Porter was always using... He would set a metronome to the scenes of like Walter White walking out of a building furiously to kind of figure out where he wanted the music to be. Okay. And I felt like that pacing, I think, was what was missing from some of the montages earlier in the season. And I felt like this one, the way that it kind of slowly built to the point where they want, you see that scene where Jesse and Tula, Jesse prays over the pregnancy test. And then after that, it gets back to this quick cut, like, very choppy mm-hmm. but well made montage of of these different moments showing the monotony of their days yep i think uh this one felt a lot more skillfully put together than than some of the first ones yeah, it was fun- it was fantastic yeah I really so i it. yeah i enjoyed that quite a bit um so jesse tears down the facade of 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 tulip obviously so, so i got a little bit um I'm a little bit mired down in what happens in, in, in that part of the scene in terms of like the argument that they have about like, do you feel that Jesse really was Jesse seems very angry that she's not legitimately trying to have this normal life. Yeah. And do you feel like Tulip like Tulip does this weird thing where she she brings up the O'Hare part of it, but then partly blames it on Jesse. Do Do you know what I? Do you get what I'm saying? Because she she says I'm an O'Hare. Like it, like she's blaming it. She's using it as an excuse, but then Jesse kind of blames her for it. Like it it was it was a little bit muddy to me. Obviously, not like arguments are always extremely well structured. <laughs> yeah, life, especially but, in the heat of the moment like yeah. that. I think, well, to 
to address the the first part, I think you were asking like in regard was Jesse really giving it a giving it a his best shot? Yeah. <laughs> he needs he he probably needed to give her a little more credit back when things seemed on the up and up because he didn't really seem to be doing much except yeah. hanging out with his buddy. Uh, and like you said, supposedly a bartender. We didn't see. We any never see him tending any bar. It's yeah. like Tulip told that to Danny just to kind of like put out the air and like just you know yeah. put on that face. He definitely is sulking and I think feeling sorry for himself and not necessarily feeling sorry for both of them. Mm. And I, I have, I kind of said, uh, I said melodrama Jesse is in full swing. He has these (laughs) moments in the books where when things don't go his way or when maybe not necessarily when things don't go his way, but when he feel, when he has reason to be a little bit down, he really leans into it. Yeah. And he kind of just is like, whoa, and like really wallows. Mm -hmm. And I was like, poor me. And uh, she kind of seemed to attribute that slightly to being a custer, too. Yeah. She was kind of like, you know, you, you're you going to get a shitty job and live a shitty life because you think it's what you're supposed to do. Almost like you think you're supposed to punish yourself. Yeah. Like you're supposed to, like, live in a state of, like you said, kind of a catatonic lifestyle. Yeah. As if that's, like, your penance. And she seems to think the other way. You need to just get back up and get back to what you're good at or what makes you happy. And I don't think either of them are right, necessarily. I think <laughs> yeah. Jesse's Jesse's idea was good his goals were good but he was just execution like, he's was acting poor. like a baby about it yeah exactly <laughs> like a total deadbeat yeah uh which made me feel sad for tulip and uh and then i also i, I was angry at him but i also felt bad for him i was like yeah. he doesn't realize what an asshole he's being yeah but at the same time like he he's a he's a, a guy of intensity and i think real passion and when people like that when they're high they're high but when they're low they're very low yeah and i think the subsequent betrayal of of his friend mm-hmm. and loss of the baby just kind of put him into a state of shock you yeah. know and tulip maybe is the stronger one in the relationship in that she is able to bounce back and says i'm going to do what i need to do however she's also doing it because she wants to do it hmm. so could she just get the job the nine to five working as a real realtor's assistant yeah she could and that would also be doing what she needs to do but she likes being a criminal. Yeah. As Jesse tells Victor, she married you because she wants to be a criminal. It's a criminal lifestyle she's into. Yeah. Um, I did refer to Reggie as proto Cassidy in my notes, <laughs> but I realized that yeah. Carlos was actually the OG Cassidy. They yeah. always have this third wheel guy who's kind of an idiot. <laughs> and uh, Reggie was more of an idiot than both Cassidy and uh, Carlos. Absolutely. Combined. Well, Carlos probably. is just kind of a dope. Yeah, and kind of, and and yeah, Re- Reggie's just really stupid. <laughs> just stupid. And uh, Carlos, I remember us. You, you cited uh, fault with this, especially in season one. That his his ultimate reasoning was like, you guys seemed happy, and I didn't want you to be happy. Yeah, it was a really weak motivation, and I agree. Yeah, and Reg- Reggie has zero motivation, literally, <laughs> as a character or yeah. in his in his own life. He's literally there to fill space. He had to get punched, <laughs> get the shit beat out of him by Jesse. Yeah, uh, but it was a very good sequence. I, I liked it was a good way to establish the monotony of it and with without repeating the same shots, which I thought was very cool. They had like different angles of things and you know, it would be like a, a two shot of Jesse and, and the cashier. And then it would be like a single of the cashier later. It was just a night. Like they didn't just go shoot one series and then recycle the same shots. Yeah. They actually like, kind, of, kind of like the, uh, like the, um, the same, even like the St. of killers montage or even the Eugene montage. I feel like both were pretty, 
they were using those same things. Well, I think that's okay in, in that context. And, and yeah, absolutely. But because in this in case, hell, yeah, it but, feels like they shot these scenes like seven different times yes, from completely which, different angles. Yeah, and just handed a bunch of stuff to the editor and was like, make it. Yep. And I think that was awesome. Like, it kept me interested. And I liked that their clothes never really changed. Yeah. I liked that the scenery never really changed. It was just very, definitely drove home that idea that if you were one of these characters in the moment, you might not necessarily realize that what your life is. Right. But then when you're looking back on it is when you have that, that kind of hindsight, you know, and then people go through these, these slumps in real life. And I'm sure in the moment you're like, well, tomorrow it'll be better. And then, you know, another week goes by another few weeks, another month. And I don't know how much time really has passed. Yeah, that's it seems that's, like a couple months. That's part of what I want to get into because there's too. a lot of Bible ripped out and uh, to the point where it will not support the door or the the window. Yeah, and the Bible's a pretty thick book, so yeah. it's a lot of pages. And I noted at one point that there was also, like, I think I think it was Jesse, but maybe not. You you only see the hand come in and flip the Bible right side up. Yes, because Tulip or whoever was always putting it there down, like with the with the text towards the bottom on the spine, and I part part of me like wants to make that like, well, Jesse still isn't that committed to God, but he goes and rearranges it as like a perhaps. Yeah. I just I chalked it up to like a structural integrity. So, yeah, and that, that it maybe, wasn't working. Maybe anymore. that's so they just flip it over, yeah. and hopefully it works that time. That's entirely possible too. I don't know. But I like that, yeah, that that is true because he, especially towards the end of that whole montage, he's clearly, he's a little more in tune. I mean, the the prayer is one thing. Yeah, and then also they, like, they attend church and you see Tulip kind of tune out of it all while Jesse's intently listening. Yeah, and he's actually, like, slicked his hair a little bit. He's actually kind of presenting Put, Putting in a little bit of effort. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So and something then, about this is calling back to him and maybe it is sort of defaulting to what he grew up with. Yeah. Which... Tulip clearly didn't enjoy yeah. his dad. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot there. We could probably talk a lot more about the montage, but ultimately it wouldn't really yield anymore. But I think it was it was really well done, and I didn't mind that it spent a lot of time in that kind of gray, just aimless area of their life because it definitely helped set the tone for why one of them or both of them decided they needed a big change. Yeah. And it's sad because as much as they do love each other, I think that that kind of stuff happens to couples and it really tests you yep. as a couple, as an individual and a couple, you know, because Tulip clearly loves Jesse enough that she's going to stand by and deal with him just sitting and smoking all day and not doing anything. Yep. Hopefully thinking he'll snap out of it and he's in there somewhere. But at the same time, you know, she can't trust him with her, you know, life of crime she wants to get back into. Yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting. It was it was very very telling of their of their relationship. Mm-hmm. It's again, a, it provides you a lot of context to where things were at the beginning yeah. of season one. This was a st- and I, this is my last note of the episode. Uh, this was a a story that I d- a backstory I didn't know that I wanted to see. Interesting. I thought I'm always a big fan of when uh, movies and TV will just jump right into it with characters and they let you either fill in the gaps yourself through either the show's well written and so you can kind of pick up where these people came from. Yeah. Or it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Or you can just you decide what you want and just go with that. But uh, so something like this is something I would not have been like, yes, please, I want to see what happened. As <laughs> yeah. I really liked, we weren't begging for the answer of what happened in between. Like, right, it wasn't even something that we necessarily talked about on this show. And even in season one, when we just 
we knew what Carlos did. We knew that she lost a baby. And we knew like we I could fill in the gaps. Yeah. In my mind, it was like, okay, Jesse probably just started drinking heavily and Tulip was sad. And eventually like one of them ran out of the other. They drifted. Yeah. And that was good enough for me. Yeah. But it was uh, it was very cool to see it. And I think, again, obviously a lot of credit to the writing, but the to, to the two leads. I mean, yeah. they're just so phenomenal and they have such good chemistry with each other mm-hmm. that it really is just it's fantastic. Absolutely. To watch these two go. Uh, on to Act 4, Cassidy finds Jesse at Victor's house. We learn Cassidy was once rich, and he seems to almost tear up when he's thinking about it. Jesse asks why he would ever trust Cassidy again, and Cassidy agrees that there's not a good reason to do so. But he says that he's there to let Jesse know whatever he decides, he'll be with him. Jesse thinks it's over for him and Tulip if he kills Victor, but Cassidy thinks he, uh, in the end, he and Tulip would make it through. Unless, of course, he's lying. So, uh... Cassidy being rich is that do you, is is that harkening back to to some of the the Cassidy backstory you're talking about in in previous Gone to Texas episodes? Uh, yes and no. Okay. I think if anything, it they don't talk a lot about his family life in Ireland when okay. he's when he is before he is turned yeah into a vampire. Uh, I I would imagine being from Ireland, probably like semi rural Ireland. Uh, in the, you know, for spitballing Cassidy, he says old he is right in the first season. He does. Yeah, I can't remember that time. That that time period, he probably was not wealthy. Yeah, I think in the book he was he was not a wealthy guy. Um, it, and the way that he phrases it here, because he says, "Did you know that I was rich once? Yeah, bloody years ago." I really quite enjoyed it. Actually, it sounds like it's something that he came across at some point in his life it wasn't like part of who he was the beautiful thing about cassidy is you can he's just this giant blank canvas and they Mm -hmm. you know they don't have to stay as true to his origin in the show yeah so if if it was revealed that he you know yeah fell in with like a band in like the 60s and 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 was their manager somehow (laughs) and and made a ton i'm kind of thinking that his origin is going to be that he was from a wealthy family okay when he was a young man interesting I would love to see that, to hmm. see somebody who uh, who had it all and squandered it. Lost it, And yeah. has been spending the last 80 years just driving themselves <laughs> deeper into... Rather <laughs> rather than... He, he's going the Jesse route rather than the Tulip route. Rather, yeah. rather than pick himself up and make something of himself and embrace his, his gift or he views it as a curse and he's just been like... Wallowing in his mess. Exactly. Yeah. And living for the, for the single-serving moments that he does like with... Uh, you know, he has such a blast with Fior. With Fior. <laughs> But ultimately, it's it's just this hollow thing, yeah. as junkies I think generally always are. So I'm really curious to see what the, what they're going to do with that. But I did really like that moment. I, honestly, this is the most development we've gotten on Cassidy in this one scene, and probably the whole series. Well, and I the the emotion that's on his face is so good at that part. Like I it 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 make it makes me want to go back and rewatch it a few times just to try and like glean a little more out of it because he's like kind of close to tears and kind of like but he's still looking back at it very fondly he has his own moment yeah separate from his conversation with jesse and it's very good yeah i have Um, a lot of notes about cassidy throughout pepper throughout the episode one of them just says give joe the emmys yes give him all the emmys absolutely i would i would agree with that for sure i liked his line about the sheets saying these are silky bastards (laughs) yeah (laughs) these are and then of course he Harkens it back to the foreskin conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. There's hundreds on these. Uh, yeah, he talks about his considerable wisdom. Yeah. Uh, 
so I had the note melodrama Jesse is in full swing earlier and then <laughs> yeah. I wrote dark Cassidy is here too because there's there's a dark side to Cassidy and I I like that we've had a moment here in this season where you which is good you kind of had a recognition of like maybe I need to put my guard up a little bit with Cassidy yeah or no, or maybe just like not take everything he says at face value I I really want to know if other more casual viewers of the show are going to feel that way because he the power of Cassidy he's so endearing he's so mm-hmm. charming and he's so likable and he's uh he's just a fun guy like you want to like him it's not yeah. just like you will like him if he's likable you want to and you want to be his friend and he i think he has seduced a lot of like people that are watching the show a lot of you know fans or, or you know viewers even just general folk are probably watching they probably just love Cassidy and they're like yeah. oh that lovable scamp Cassidy and they, I wonder if it's going to register with people that there's like some, some maybe not red flags, but there's some signs in this episode that maybe he's not necessarily on the up and up and maybe he's not acting in everybody's best interests. Yeah. I mean, it, it was weird because I, wa- I watched this, uh, you know, right around when it aired on Monday night. And when I watched it, I just kind of took it all at face value. And Cassidy's like, oh, you know, I think you and Tulip is, you know. Uh, Jesse Custer and two, uh, yeah, like would that ever not be a thing? Essentially, and and I kind of was like, yeah, you know, Jesse and Tulip can make it through anything because they've made it through a lot already so far, mm-hmm. which is kind of a valid point. But coupling that with Tulip's uh, Tulip putting her guard up earlier in this episode against Cassidy, and then also Cassidy's kind of sarcastic relief about the situation being over at the end of the episode like those two things together made me think like oh maybe he's like maybe he is actually trying to put a wedge between them and i don't know right i don't know what his motivation to do that would be other than to just like be with tulip but other than that like you guys were happy (laughs) yeah i didn't like it (laughs) uh he really is carlos isn't he uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, it's a different side of Cassidy that we see in this episode for sure. The only part of the dynamic that I don't, doesn't really jive as well with me. I, I'm not wild about how early in the series, Jesse is a little wary of him. Yeah. Like I mentioned in last week's episode, I think or maybe two weeks ago, they're like, they're like in the thick like of it, best buds, bosom buddies for yeah. like the first enormous chunk of the book with and just total blind like admiration. And it's totally that Cassidy is so he, he seduces people into into loving him and Jesse falls under that spell. And they they are genuine friends because Cass is also the only guy who can hang with Jesse, who can like drink like him and wants to get into a bar fight every night. Yeah. And like lives a little wild and free kind of like all of jesse's idols like john wayne you know he just lives life however he sees fit in the moment and jesse is like totally into that idea Mm -hmm. so i didn't love the scene where he was kind of like because he's talking it out with cassidy and then he finally kind of turns to him and is like why would i trust why would anyone trust you yeah and while it was really good it was a great scene and these guys are just awesome opposite each other as well and i liked that there was kind of this like kind of face-off moment where they were both kind of like sizing each other up a little bit differently maybe uh, i thought it was a great scene but it felt maybe a little bit early okay so uh, but then he kind of quickly is like jesse's kind of like ah, you know with my friends yeah. and cassidy kind of diffuses cassidy, the conversation cassidy seems to diffuse it pretty handily yeah so. and he kind of says like you know i'm gonna be with you whatever you decide which is true 
he'll stick with him. But he he knows what Tulip said. Yeah. See, she was like, it's over. Like, yep. he does it, it's over. And there's no question. And uh, so it seems like a deliberate choice to tell them, like, eh. He, he wants It'll to, be okay. But he doesn't want to tell him. He wants yeah. to leave it. He wants to leave the choice in Jesse's hands, which is very important to note. I think okay. he doesn't want Jesse to say Cassidy told me that he doesn't want anything to do with it. He just wants to say like I think you'll make it, and you will have to decide, sort of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. You can put the That's gun. You can put the gun in his hand, but you're not. He's not making him pull the trigger. Yeah, he's not making him put the gun down either. He's like, oops, here's a gun. Yeah, what are you gonna do? The gun being metaphorical here. <laughs> All right, uh, Act 5, Jesse comes home and after some comedic confusion reveals that he didn't kill Victor but got divorce papers from him. Cassidy seems sarcastically relieved, especially after he lies to Tulip and says, uh, you know, I think he's, I told him. I, he, he, well, I'll get to that in a second. I apologize. Uh, Victor flashes back a few years when Tulip left him in the middle of a Monopoly game after getting a call from Danny saying she knows where Carlos is. In present day... Victor's daughter comes in, and after he puts the gun down at her intrusion, he starts to read to her because she can't sleep after offering target practice in the basement. <laughs> like any good father would do. Mm-hmm. Finally, the saint of killers pays them a visit, and he kills Victor, but Allie tells the saint that she knows where the preacher is. Um, a couple things. So, before we get into any real big discussion... The uh, the big words that flash when when the, you flash back to when Tulip left Victor says it was a few years earlier, mm-hmm. which feels weird to me. Well, a few years earlier was the uh, that was the uh, the confrontation between Cassidy and Tulip, wasn't it? Wasn't it a few months earlier for Victor? No. Like I, I double checked it because okay. I, because I like, ju- I think I just took these notes and I was like, did that say a few years? And then I went back and checked it, and it says a few years earlier, okay. which feels very strange because that kind of implies to me, like, what I get out of this sequence is that Danny calls up Tulip and is like, I know where Carlos is, but you got to get this map for me, mm-hmm. which is what she's doing in that in the in the first season in the first episode, even. yeah. And I don't feel like it's been a few years since the pilot of the show. You know, I don't think there's any way that that's possible. I I could buy a couple months. I could buy six months, you know, yeah. but even getting to the point where like Cassidy and Tulip and Jesse have been around each other for a year feels weird to me. So I don't know if that was just a mistake on their part or. Unless Danny had... Uh, Danny strung her along for a few things. Maybe she made her do... Although she was working with her willingly, so that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, there's an inconsistency there then, if that's the case. I remember being confused by the time as well, because I thought it said a few years... I don't remember. Oh, I'm confused. Because there's a few... There's a few... Po- it says a few months... No, because what happens is... They replayed part of the Carlos incident, mm-hmm. and then they said a few months later. Yeah. And that's when Jesse's in the apartment being a deadbeat, doing nothing. Okay. Tulip's coming home. That's that's the other title okay, card that's, that's right, in that's this right. one. Because then later on, when Victor's flashing back, it says a few years earlier. Okay. Maybe, I mean, a few could be two. So yeah. maybe, yeah. you know, if Cass and, and... It just felt a little weird to me. That's true. So... um. 
But yeah, what I was getting to very poorly as I was reading my little summary is that uh, Cassidy tells Tulip that Victor's still alive, but he doesn't elaborate on what he said when she said, when she asks him. Mm-hmm. And he instead lies and he says that he told Jesse to do the right thing. Which, he didn't tell him to do the wrong thing, but he didn't tell him to do the right thing either, as you said at the yeah. end of, of the last part. So even more to Cassidy's deceit, which, to be honest, breezed right past me the first few. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it, it's great. It surprised me. It surprises me, even as we were talking about it, yeah. how much deceit there was. There's a lot of subtext there. Plainly in view. And it's, it's an but, important thing to consider, I think, you know, with, with a character like that, you have to think that he's been he's been around for so long. Yeah, he's seen a lot and he's done a lot and he's had a lot of practice at a lot of things. So you can't you know you can't even just be alive for that long without knowing how to talk to people and knowing how to get what you want out of people. Yeah, so I think uh, he's I, like if for some reason I'm getting this vision of like Quicksilver and X Men like nudging bullets in certain ways. <laughs> To make sure they fly into the right courses as to what yeah, he wants that's maybe do. a little little more precise than Cass <laughs> than Cass yeah, is. Yeah, he's a bit more of a blunt tool than that. But <laughs> but he's definitely he's a very crafty guy, and yeah. I and I don't I'm not trying to cast him in a in a completely awful light. He's not a supervillain, but there's just more to him than than is presented. And I think the fact that you're picking up on it is awesome, and that Joe Gilgan again, his performance is so <laughs> layered, and he 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 has this little. Part of it, and, and it's just by nature of the character, is is the Irish. I mean, as Americans, we're like suckers for, yeah, for people that have fun, intriguing European accents, yep. especially British Isles people. Mm-hmm. Like we just, we, there's no one here that doesn't love speaking to an English person. Yep, and you know, Irishman, Irishman, even more. Like he's just so phenomenal to listen to, and every little thing, like even the sheets thing, like this, it just made me laugh out loud. Yeah. He's like, oh, there's some sucky bastards. Yeah, like a car- an American character could sit down and be like, "Man, these are what's the thread count on these?" And I would still laugh. Like Tom Haverford has a bit like that in Parks and Recreation. It's really funny. Yeah, but Cass has that extra little twist on it, and he knows what he has, and he. he uses it to quickly change you know distract you and that's the thing is that i feel like i was so in the pocket that like normally in any other like in in a lot of other shows i would have i feel like i would have seen it playing and been like cassidy's charm is working on them here yeah but it totally absolutely worked on me which is it's man it's all ridiculously good he is i mean the writing is obviously great and the the root of this character you know again hennis and dylan but Joe Gilgan is just f- and so good, and I remember when I when I saw he was cast, the only thing I really knew him from was Lockout, and um, I think maybe I saw him in something else. But I was like that guy. I looked at him and I was like him, yeah, because he didn't really. He's just he was so tall and like scrawny, and it just wasn't what I had seen in the books. And I was being too too much of a stickler, yeah. but I was like whatever, he'll probably be fine. And then, like, as soon as, obviously, as soon as the show started, I was like, oh, this guy is far and away the best yeah. person. Well, and even, like, one of the things that I noted this time around that I know that we've probably seen before is just the the funny trot that he does going up the stairs in Victor's house. It's just like, why is he doing that? I know. he wa- For no reason. Yeah, he's like the Joker when he's walking out of the hospital with that stupid walk. <laughs> You're like, what the what this yeah. shit is he doing? Yep. And his weird, uh, Cassie's like weird, like flooded pants. Yep. Like, he's like, he's just, Absolutely. you just look at him, you're like, I gotta, I gotta hang out with this guy. I gotta talk to him. I gotta yep. know what he's about. Yep. Uh, I don't think there's much else with the Victor flashback. Uh, the it was really sad. I yeah. felt really sad for Victor. And, uh, uh, what's his Ben, uh, what's his name? The actor? Um, uh, Paul Ben Victor. Paul Ben Victor. 
so good. Like yeah. That he is clearly, he, he is really enamored with Tulip and he knows she doesn't love him. Yep. It's very plain on his face that he knows it and yet he still just really wants her around. She's, she softens him a little bit or brings something out of him. And that look on his face and he comes back in and you can, you can, I love when, when shows are, are willing to have smart characters. Yeah. It's so nice to see. She's gone. To see characters. It's just like he sees the board and so immediately in his mind he's probably there's been some kind of either struggle or someone ran out of here and then he turns and he sees the dresser and it's just playing on his face. He knows immediately what happened. Yep. And there's no, there's no like seven stages of grief. There's no like, oh, maybe she's like, there's nothing. It's just yeah. playing on his face. He knows she is up and run and he's not going to see her again and it's so good. Yeah. Just yeah. fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh yeah, and then, I don't know. Victor's Victor's parenting relationship seems very unorthodox. It's funny. I, it's, yeah, I like it. It reminds me of uh Kick Ass. Yeah. Big Daddy and yep. uh, and Hit Girl. Totally. Which I think is funny. Uh and the Saint is hot on their tails and he has somebody who knows where they are too. Uh huh. So well, for now. For now, yeah. But yes, he's he's probably gonna catch them unawares. Yeah. And uh, that's what the saint does best. Um, I'm waiting for. I was a little disappointed. We got just the, uh, the the look on Victor's face as he's hearing the chaos downstairs. I'm I'm looking forward to just a crazy like here's 20 percent of our season's budget shootout <laughs> sequence with the saint. <laughs> yeah. Did you watch the next week on? Uh, I did, but I I I, I don't <laughs> know that I that I know that what you're. Oh no, I know I know where we're headed, but I don't want to say anything on here. Which okay. It, we we can we can talk about it afterwards. Oh, all right. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it for the episode. Back to a couple things real quick that Mike said when he when he emailed in on Monday. Okay. Uh, he said most of what happened on uh, this week's episode wasn't in the books. It did, in a way, uh, resolve in a different manner, and uh, it in fact led to a major story that had nothing to do with Tulip's past. He wrote me later and said to remind you something about them seeing a former employer of tulips in dallas does that ring any bells in in regards to the show in regards to like uh he i think he he drew some parallels like he felt mostly like this episode was not in the books Uh but it did remind him of a storyline in the books where they went to deal with something about tulips employer in dallas like a former employer in dallas yeah i think i know what he's talking about okay maybe i'll have to just speed read the whole thing again like this week it was it was on my mind like i was going through my through my ipad and like I was like, eh, I'm going through my Comixology account, and I was like, what do I want to read? And I was yeah. like, ooh, maybe it's time. <laughs> uh, but then the other point that Mike made this week, he said, lastly, I don't remember Jesse ever acting like that much of a prick in the book, but then he was your old-fashioned Southern gentleman, always so polite and good-hearted, and Lord help you if you fucked with him or his. Right. Even what he did to Arseface in the book, he didn't realize what he did and was taken generally genuinely taken aback when he realized it for some reason they are making him much more unlikable i'm still not sure how i feel about it same goes for this episode didn't like it at first but i'm still processing hell i didn't like most of the first season up until the finale wrapped it up hmm. uh so mike definitely seems like a like a very devout fan of the book yeah yeah and which I, is great absolutely i'm not i'm not holding that against him at all i know a friend of mine is extremely rigid he did not like season one of the show. Like yeah. straight up, he's like, I hate it. And I was like, why? And he's like, it's not Preacher. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> like, I mean, yes, but 
what's the point then? Yeah. like uh you know and and maybe he's just like i'm not gonna watch it because i don't like it and it's not preacher to me and that's, that's fair that's fair but at the same time it's not I it's think hard it's nice. when your feelings of the source material don't allow you to enjoy the new stuff that an adaptation might bring to it which, right but i get it those things are so closely tied together that it it totally makes sense but and, and here's the thing that i want to say is that as somebody who hasn't read the books I don't feel I didn't come out of that episode feeling like Jesse's unlikable. Like I'm still very much and I don't know if it's just the fondness that I've built up for him over the past season and a half. I don't even think he's presented that likable in the first place, but I like him anyway is kind of what I get out of it. And so even with the actions of today, like I think or of this episode, I feel like I like I understood where he came from. And I and I think what he's what Mike is mostly referring to is is the moment with Tulip in the past about, you know, the the like him calling Tulip out for not wanting the normal life mm-hmm. and her being an O'Hare like that that to me felt like an argument that they've had a thousand times kind of and not really something that he's going out of his way to be a dick about, but. I don't know. Like I, I didn't. I don't think I walked away the same way. But as 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 I noted, I'm I didn't read the book, so it's not like I have an idea of the Southern gentleman Jesse. That yeah, I mean, I think they're not making him less likable. They're not making him unlikable. They're just humanizing him. They're yeah. making him into a character. And in the book, he's a comic book character. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Pejorative, Lots yeah. of comic book characters can be very three dimensional. Yeah. And Jesse does have. He does have depth to him, but for the most part, I mean, even in Mike's summary of who he is, he's a he's kind of a good old boy, and don't yeah. mess with him, him and his, and that's him in a nutshell, and that's him, pretty much, fully fleshed out in the book. Like he yeah. he does have a lot of interesting past, but he has never really changed much. He's been mostly the same since he was a kid, all the way up until you know the end of the book. He's kind of the same guy. Yeah, and. They could have adapted that, Jesse, for the show, and I think initially that's what I wanted, and I think part of me still kind of does want more of that aspect of him because watching Dominic Cooper work within that world of of that particular Jesse is really fun. Mm -hmm. The scene in season one where he's at the bar and he kicks the shit out of all those guys (laughs) is so satisfying, Yeah, partially because it's a great action sequence, but also because Dominic Cooper embodies that so much better than I thought he would. Yeah. Like I had all these ideas in my mind who was going to play Jesse Custer, what he was going to look like and act like. And uh, then when I saw Dominic Cooper was cast, I was like him because I yeah. knew him from like Need for Speed and the, all the Marvel films and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then I saw a picture of him on set and I was like, <sighs> like the costume was great, but like his hair is not the hair, which is obviously a good decision because the hair is ridiculous. <laughs> and I love, yeah. like I noted in season one, that they tried it. They did like a costume test uh-huh. of the hair and they're like, it's just too... Like we can, we can't do anything with this. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so it was a good decision. And turning Jesse into more of a three-dimensional character is a good decision. And, you know, if you're going to... If you're really going to get into his corner, I think it's, it's good that he has some flaws. It makes him more relatable. And yeah. it makes you want to root for him more because you want to see him overcome the flaws. It's a little bit more of that... Like a dimensionality, like a well-rounded person. Yeah, know? and it may not necessarily be as much fun to watch, like on the surface, but it you will get a better journey out of it. Like, I think it's probably more fun to watch, like Ant Man, for example. And if we're gonna go movies, I 
love Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. I love the character and I like what they did with it a lot, but it's much more satisfying to watch Bruce Wayne's journey even in just Batman Begins alone yeah. because he has faults and flaws that are deep and that are human. It's not like, oh, sorry, you had to work at Baskin-Robbins. Like, that's sad. Yeah. Those are about as far as Paul Rudd's <laughs> Ant-Man's flaws go. Even his crime is like noble. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. The thing that sent him to jail. So, spoilers for Ant-Man. <laughs> he works at Baskin-Robbins. <laughs> I think that uh, I see what Mike is saying, and I think that taking a taking a beat to try to uh, reconcile the idea that it's just going to be a different character is is important, and it's it's something I had to do like in season one, like yeah. while we were watching it, while we were recording the show, I had to like sometimes step back. And yeah, go, you like, can you can hear Nick's deliberations on on this. Like I, I feel like by the end of the season. It was a bit of a roller coaster because I feel like as things were diverging, you were like, I don't know if we're ever really going to get to mm-hmm. what the comics were. Right. Whereas by the finale, you're like, okay, that was kind of issue zero with things shuffled in from later. Yeah. Because of Odin King Cannon and such. But And I think part of that is just, you know, taking up any sort of film or, or movie criticism in general, you need to be able to do that. Yeah. And even if it's just as simple as you talking with your buddies... It's imp- I think it's an important thing that I wish I had learned earlier on. Yeah. Like we have, yeah, Alex and I and our friends have had for the, for the last like 10 years almost like just hundreds of parking lot post-movie discussions about movies and I, I can't help, although they were, they're always fun and they're kind of what inspired us to do this kind of stuff. I think uh, they would could have been a lot more fruitful if earlier on I was able to divorce myself from... Yeah, we all let our guard down a little bit more and didn't mm-hmm. necessarily like dig in on something that we righteously felt was not adapted perfectly you know yeah see our uh, our painting game episode for <laughs> yeah for two bull the, two bulls unwilling to back down the adaptation of painting game <laughs> i just mean like that you no, know but yeah those sort of things it's it's good to keep your mind open mm-hmm. and i think that it not only will make things easier but also you can get a lot more out of it yeah you know having an open mind even for for anything really any just movies in general but also, uh, you know, when works are being adapted, I think it's pretty important. It's something I've had to learn with, like, the Marvel films because yeah. early on I was real crotchety about a lot of diversions even from source material. But at the end of the day, as Alex has said for years, you will still have the source material to go back to. Yeah, and, and that, was some, that was a lesson that I learned in high school because my high school girlfriend at the time did not like the Harry Potter movies because she was such a big Harry Potter fan. And I was disappointed because I never, like, we wouldn't go to see them. And then for some reason, she'd go on vacation and see them anyway with her mom because her mom came. <laughs> and I would get so pissed because I was like, she's like, I didn't really like it. And I'm like, well, now I can't go see Order of the Phoenix because nobody wants to go with me. So, like, having her so steadfastly <laughs> loving the books, to me, made me realize that having that staunch, like, oh, this isn't what the other copy of it is like is is a little bit of a uh it's a it's kind of a reductive position to hold it's it's absolutely being unwilling to see the 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 gold that another adaptation could bring to something so it is harder when you're younger oh to be fair absolutely absolutely. i mean even four years ago the notion of a dark tower adaptation i like threw my (laughs) arms up and i still kind of am yeah but there's an there's so much built into this one that ultimately I can I can kind of mission impossible it and disavow any knowledge of it and it won't matter. I feel like season one of Preacher was a great way if you held through it. Speaking as somebody who hasn't read the comics, I feel like that season was designed to show you that there's worth in this 
adaptation, even if it's not going to be shot for shot. You like, are, I would say you're correct because if the first season hadn't happened the way it had, I probably would be with where we are in the middle of the season. I'd be, I'd be like, what the shit are we doing? <laughs> yeah. Because again, yeah. They, they got on with the comics for like an episode yep. and now it's totally left forked again <laughs> and it's off into its own thing. And while I am enjoying it at the same time, it's, it's in the back of my mind. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm giving the show slack. I think if you get through this season and you don't feel like we've hit some of those important things from the comic, you're going to be disappointed. I am. And I, and I fully, completely appreciate and understand that. So I think it's something we'll have to take stock of at, at the after the finale. Yeah, the nature of any adaptation. I mean, you are obviously uh, free to make you to make some changes and yeah. adapt. But what works in comic may not work in movie, and correct. vice versa. But also, you have the reason that story is worth adapting is in the DNA of it somewhere. Yeah. The, the skeleton of Preacher exists, yep. and if you're going to adapt it and kind of reconfigure it slightly for TV, I'm all for it. But it needs to still be preacher. You need to find that meaning of what preacher as a movie is. Like how how to how to extract that important DNA, those those dominant genes and put it into the movie in a way that that successfully like that's what the like the the successful adaptation is to me. Yes. It's not the this moment's on page 7 of issue 33. <laughs> it's the I came out of this feeling like Jesse Custer went on a similar journey that he did in the books or even just that you're walking away with those same feelings. Yes. Absolutely. That you did after reading. And while the, the temptation of seeing a page to screen perfect adaptation will always exist. Like, would I love to see somebody simultaneously like adapting the book directly? I would fucking love that. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. That would be awesome. Yeah. But I've read it before. I've seen it. I know what's going to happen. And it's fun well, I think it's fun to watch those kind of things happen. I don't think it's mature, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, I think uh, we're kind of getting away from the staying so true to the source material, especially like the Marvel stuff. Yeah. And sometimes it has uh, different effects. Like, I thought they they did a good job adapting Doctor Strange, for yep. example. Uh, they stayed relatively true to his origin, and yet they brought it into a modern era. They explained magic in a way that works. I thought it was an awesome movie, but like Spider-Man Homecoming is more heavily based. It feels like kind of an ultimate Spider-Man, but it's kind of also doing its own thing. And while I think it was a fun watch, it wasn't as satisfying to me. And maybe, even the themes of Ultron in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. fall very flat, whereas I know you had a lot more strong feelings about it from the comics. Absolutely. Just the ideas of... The themes, the themes of Ultron, Ultron in the movie. I mean, they set them up with the noblest of intentions, but they fall flat just by function of them. The movie, unfortunately, did not live up to its premise. Yeah. But its premise in the books is even better than the premise they set up in the movies, and it's so, so fascinating. And I think Westworld does like a better job yeah. of, of some of those key questions that Ultron asks. For but sure. anyway, we're talking about different things. Yeah. Here. But I, I think you know, can you watch Watchmen? Like where it's it's a relatively it's probably the most like direct page to screen adaptation that exists, uh, you know, alongside 300 just kind of the same way, mm -hmm. but it's so long. Like Watchmen is just, it's cool. It's really cool to see that come to life, but then the parts where they choose to deviate are not good. 
and well and even like the even the function of like swapping back and forth between like tales of the black freighter and stuff like that in the like super ultimate director's cut or whatever whatever turbo remix whatever it's called (laughs) that doesn't work in a movie form in my opinion yeah i agree it doesn't work at all it could maybe work in an episodic television form that's a whole nother discussion. That's only but, for your hardcore, like most diehard of fans. Yeah. And that's a, that's a minority, yeah. I would say. So I think with Preacher, you know, they're doing a, they're doing a good job keeping the spirit of it. Mm-hmm. But my patience is, it's on a week to week basis. So each week I kind of look forward to watching it. I'm always excited to watch it, but I think this could be the episode that breaks yeah. the camel's back, so to speak, where I go, you know what? We're just too far away now. I am... I'm ready for this New Orleans business to be done. I feel like it is now or should be because obviously Tulip's business in New Orleans is now settled. So uh, this was episode five. Five. So six will get us about halfway. So I think if, if the New Orleans arc closes off on next week's episode, which it feels like it's it's heading towards a, a shootout climax of the Saint <laughs> of Killers showing up, yeah. that's really exciting. Uh, but they, they need to get back on the trail of, of God. So we've done a good job talking about Tulip's past and fleshing her out more. And we need to get to getting back on the trail of God and we need to get more into Jesse's past because they've been teasing it this season and it's really enticing. And I think they're going to do a great job with it. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Awesome. And I like that we got the little the little hint of Cassidy here. Yeah. It happens in the books, I think, a little early. You get a little shade of it, but not enough to make you take notice your first time through. And I think that that was very appropriate. Cassidy can go back to being... Cassidy and uh, we'll see where it goes I'm really excited me too this was much better than last week's episode yeah Uh, once again you can find more episodes of our podcast on g2tpodcast.com that's the letter g number two letter t podcast.com we're also on apple podcast stitcher radio and google play music podcasts we are also g2t podcast on twitter and you can email us at g2t podcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on amc's preachers so we can read them on our show send us corrections observations or anything regarding preacher or our podcast apologies for the late episode this week uh, i i watched uh i watched or i got to see tom petty last night but the uh if you want to know when we're going to be a little bit late follow us on twitter or on facebook i let you guys know there uh, the Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, and HBO's Westworld. To find out more about these shows, as well as how to support the network, go to MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song All In by The Red Thread, and it is being used under a non-commercial Creative Commons license. That's all for this episode of Gone to Texas. We can't wait to see what next week's episode of Preacher brings, but until then, go forth and speak the good word. <laughs>